If you'll open your Bible to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, and we're going to be reading uh, several verses this morning, verses 32 through 43. And those of you who are able, if you'll please stand at this time, uh, these verses will also be on the screen. You can follow along. Luke chapter 23 and verse 32, verses 32 through 43, I'll read, and you can follow along. The Bible says, And there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garment, his raiment, and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also which uh, with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a subscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answer rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time that we can be in church and hear uh, the word of God. We're going to talk about <coughs> the three crosses of Calvary and... Uh, we got a lot of a lot of work to make uh, through in this morning, and certainly going to um, do that. Uh, but want to also be mindful of time, and ask for you to pray with us as we pray, and we will jump right in. Lord, we ask for your help. <coughs> Lord, we pray you would guide and direct our words and our thoughts, and Lord, we pray that your work would be accomplished, your will would be done. God, we ask that you speak to everyone, Lord, as only you can. Lord, uh, we're not fit to do that, nor are we able. But Lord, we know that you are, and we ask that you do just that. Speak to us in the few moments we have, and I pray that we'd be challenged, corrected, convicted, Lord, and brought to a place where we realize that uh, not only have you spoken to us, But, Lord, you put the ball in our court and expect us to respond. And I pray, Lord, we'd do that. We'd not be just hearers, but, God, we'd put to work what you would speak to us about. Help us in the moments we have. We ask for, again, guidance and direction for our words and our thoughts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're coming up, of course, on Easter two weeks from today. We don't know exactly where it falls in the calendar, where uh, Calvary and the week of passion, passion meaning suffering, leading up to those days, but probably sometime around here. Uh, April, for the Jews, this was the uh, first 
month, and, and this is a time when uh, we were right on the cusp of it, if you will. And so today and next Sunday, and then, of course, on Easter Sunday, we'll be preaching along those thoughts. And today, we'd, we'd like to address this, the three crosses of Calvary. The distinctions could, could not be more remarkable. They could not contrast anymore. In the passage of Scripture that Andy led us in leading, you have Luke's account. Calvary is pictured in each of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their stories are very, very similar. John's a little bit different. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as synoptic Gospels, John being off-topic. It's, it's, it's unique in its presentation of the Lord and His ministry. But in Luke, you have the words from a doctor. Luke was a physician who also penned, by most accounts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. In this particular passage, you have a a wonderful description of the scene as it unfolds. And you have what I believe to be the watershed event of all of human history. Everything pointed to Calvary. It was, it was it. From the very beginning, you have Adam and Eve in the garden, and God immediately had to make a covering for sin. Eve is tempted, <laughs> sins, takes of the fruit that God said not to take, and she did. And Adam follows suit and They were banished from the garden. The Bible says, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned, Romans chapter number five. And so we understand that that one event brought a a surge of sin and suffering upon humanity. They couldn't have known the moment they partook of that sin that it would result in the first murder, their own children. A brother would take the life of a brother. Almost unthinkable. But sin never appears to be exceedingly sinful. That's why God says to the child of God, sin ought to be exceedingly sinful because we seldom ever see the ramifications or consequences. But so sin occurs. They're taken from the garden. But God comes to Adam and he says, uh, he says Adam, where are you at? And Adam says, uh, we hid ourselves uh, because we were ashamed, we, we saw that we were naked, and they made their attempt to cover the shame of their sin. It was not their nakedness per se, but rather their sin and their transgression against God. God said, don't. They said, do. And so they tried, and then God said, well, wait, uh, that won't work. It takes a blood sacrifice. And we know that from God killing an animal. An animal lost its life from the very beginning, probably a lamb, but wouldn't argue the sake for sake of time, and that animal's blood was shed and the coats of the skin were sewn together. God gave them a covering for sin. And when that happened, that one event pointed to the one sacrifice for all, and that's the Lamb of God. John the Baptist would tell us, "'Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world.'" And that, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. But now here we find ourselves at the fulfillment of, if you take Usher's dates of chronology, we've now fast-forwarded from Genesis, which according to Usher is about 4,000 B.C., give or take a couple of years. And from 4,000 B.C., the events of Genesis, to now here we are at the time of Christ. It's roughly three decades now, and we're in 
uh, past BC, and here's Christ at Calvary. Here we are in 2019. This event was pointed to at the garden, and everything today looks back to that one event. That's why the, this particular season in our calendar is so significant, because it details the events of Calvary. And so on that day, Luke is telling us as it's unfolding, and he's giving us wonderful descriptions and a careful glimpse into the scene as it unfolds. The Bible says there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. The Bible tells us <coughs> Isaiah chapter 53 that he was numbered with the transgressors. Malefactors was a condemned, someone who was accused, which by the way, that's you and me. The Bible says we came to this world condemned already. When you and I drew our first breath, we were sinners by birth, but sinners by choice. Nobody ever had to teach me to be a sinner. I came naturally and I excelled. And many of us would give a testimony that nobody had to teach us to be a sinner. And so these two others who were led with him, and when they were come to the place on the screen before you, which is called Calvary there, they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus Christ was hanging in the center. Then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And They parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. The rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also is written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, and you can picture this as it unfolds, if... Thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, and this man is so magnificent in this moment because he's a type of us. If you've been redeemed, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, if you have personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can identify with this guy. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And notice, he throws himself under the bus, and we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man, perhaps with a gesture or a head nod in the direction of the Savior, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today shall thou be with me in paradise. It leads me to the first cross which is this man on the left, will say, for sake of illustration, and that's the cross of rejection. It's where most of humanity finds itself, not just today, but really since the dawn of time. Most of mankind rejects God. They don't want anything to do with it. They they reject several things about Him. The first thing they reject is His Word. Well, I don't believe it. The Bible says this. Well, I feel this way about it. Well, the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. It doesn't matter whether when you and I stand before the Lord, he's not going to ask our opinion about his word. God spoke it. Sometimes you'll see on a bumper sticker or a sign, it'll say, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And I know they mean well, but the fact is, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. 
You may choose to reject God. You may argue the fact of Scripture. You may argue the tenets of the Word of God, but it doesn't matter. You and I have no place, no standing with a holy God who gave us His Word. And it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It will when you stand before Him. But as far as our opinion and our setting in place today, you could say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, God said it, that settles it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, God said, but my word shall never pass away. The Bible says that it's established forever. There are a lot of things that will fade and pass and change. Everything that we've ever seen or man has created or he has had any part and parcel or place to it, but not the word of God. The word of God shall stand forever. People can try to discredit it. People can try to disprove it. People can argue it. People can do as Voltaire did, as he would take the Bible prior to his public speaking, and he would take copies of Scripture and rip the pages, and he would say about Jesus Christ, curse the wretch. He would boast, there is no God. There is no hell. There is no Jesus Christ. Curse the wretch. Yet in the closing moments of his life, Voltaire pleaded with his physician, I'll give you half my worth for six months of life. And his physician was powerless to help and assist. And he said to his physician, then I shall go to hell and you shall go with me. The man who trumpeted, there is no God, there is no Christ, there is no hell. Curse the rich. And in fact, it is astounding to us that those who oppose God so much don't even believe he exists. Why would you oppose something that is not there? Why would you? It would be like me having a march today of protest about fairies. I don't believe in fairies. There's no such thing. There is no proof. But for God, for the Bible, the proof is abundant. And God says, I have always been, I will always be. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The Bible tells us uh, the Word was made flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God is and has always been. I don't have to be able to wrap my mind around it. I simply have to do, as the song said earlier in the service, trust. I trust. I trust. But many people reject His Word. They reject what it says about life. They reject what it says about how we should live and conduct ourselves and the amusements that we pursue and and the uh, relationships that we ensnare and entangle ourselves with, our love and our affinity and our affection for the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. I have a problem with that. Well, it doesn't matter whether we have a problem or not. It's God's Word, and it is forever settled in heaven. So the cross of rejection represented by this man as he throws his pity of a prayer, if thou be the Christ. And you and I can never express a prayer of faith when it's littered with doubt, if thou be the Christ. Come down from the cross, as one writer of the gospel says, expressing this encounter. Come down from the cross and save thyself and us. In other words, I don't have any great confidence in Jesus Christ who boasts himself to be God when he proclaims, I and my Father are one. I've got a problem with that. So I reject his word. 
And to reject his word is to stand and to stay condemned before a holy God. And so this is the cross of rejection. They reject his word. They also reject his works. Even the most faithful of one of the twelve was Thomas, who said, I I know what he said, but I wouldn't believe it unless I could see it. And I hate to throw disparaging words his direction because he went to India, took the gospel to India, and was martyred for his faith, establishing churches far away from the land where he started his gospel journey. But nonetheless, he says, I don't believe it. We think of so many who would pray, Lord, I believe as the centurion prayed, but, but God, would you help with that unbelief that I have? And it seems so many times we as Christians even pray, knowing that God can, but wondering if God will on our behalf. Many people doubt his works. Oh, the feeding of the 5,000, that could have not possibly happened. The raising of Lazarus from the dead, I don't believe it. In fact, if I, if I don't see it, I don't believe it. Well, that's not faith. The Bible says faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There are many things in this life I have not seen. I believe, they, I believe them to exist because of evidence that is irreputable. irrefutable. The Word of God is filled with such things. And so we look at the cross of rejection, those who have rejected His words, those who have rejected His works. It leads us to the thief on the right side. But the other answering rebuked him. Do you stand on God's side? You know, I, I, uh, my teams don't always win. I prefer it when they do. Most of my life, I have lived with disappointment in terms of sport. You know, it's amazing because of over 350 teams in Division I basketball, all of them will lose their last game except for a couple. A couple will win, you know, the uh, NIT tournament. I think Texas won that. Tomorrow night, national champion will be crowned in uh, men's basketball between Virginia and Texas Tech. But the other 350 people lost. We lose a lot. But this guy, he at least has enough wisdom, though his name is never given, the thief on the right side. He says, I want to be aligned with him. I have a choice here to make. I can align myself with this guy. By the way, I have far more in common with him. I I, I mean, the same condemnation. We, indeed, justly. I'm exactly, I'm in the, the right crowd Sometimes we come to church, we think, I'm not in the right crowd. I'm here to tell you, you're in the right crowd. Because everyone that walked in this morning, from the platform to the last chair, and those in the surrounding rooms are sinners. I got a suit and tie on, but I'm a sinner. I'm no different than anyone here. But I can identify with one of these two, and it's not this guy. But it's this man who represents if you will, the cross of repentance. You have rejection. I don't believe his word. I don't believe his works. I don't don't subscribe to them. I don't follow that line of thinking. I reject his word. And if you do, you stand condemned before a holy God. The Bible says, he that believeth not is condemned already. 
And then we journey over to our friend on the right side of the cross. I would... I can't imagine the scene, but I would want to be on his side because of the one he chose to trust. Everybody trusts something. Everybody believes something. The Bible says that some trust in chariots, speaking of military prowess and strength. The Bible says that some trust in riches. They believe the more they have, they, they will somehow insulate themselves from trouble and tragedy. But God reminds us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's no one that can escape or is immune from that. Job was not only one of the most righteous men on the planet during his lifetime, he was also one of the most wealthy. He would have been a very successful man in the eyes of the world, even in today's time. Had Flocks and herds numbering in the thousands. Had an enormous estate and was well regarded and well respected in the gate. And in one day, everything's gone. And so we find this man on the cross of repentance. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You see, with the cross of repentance, there has to be several things that are in tune. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel, a new heart also will I give you. One of the things that we notice about this man is his heart changed. He figuratively, and perhaps literally speaking, I suppose, had a heart transplant on the cross because he saw things differently. He was unique now. He was moments before. In fact, the Bible tells us in an earlier gospel that they both cast the same. Initially, both of them were, were hurtling darts and arrows with their wounding words to the Savior. But in a moment, everything changed and Wait a second. I now see myself as I truly am. We indeed justly. And I now see him as he truly is. This man hath done nothing amiss. And what a dramatic change happened. Because your heart has to be several things. First of all, the Bible tells us the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Your heart's got to be broken. We get broken for a lot of foolish things. We get broken for things that don't matter. We get broken, we see something sad on the news and it tears us up. And in the big picture of eternity, it holds little significance. We get broken when our teams lose. We get broken when we suffer disappointment, (coughs) setback, adversity. But this man was broken for one reason. He wasn't broken for the fact he was moments from death. He knew death was coming. He could probably hear it approaching in the distance. He sensed it. If it had a fragrance, he smelled it. He was keenly aware that he was close to drawing his last breath. He knew that in moments he understood because crucifixion was common yet cruel during those days. And he knew that at any moment someone would be approaching and they would take a club And they would break the legs of the condemned who hung on the cross. 
because they would break their legs because the way they would survive was pushing themselves up on their legs to draw a breath. Most people who died on Calvary died from suffocation. They could no longer push and draw a breath and collapse again. And draw a breath and collapse again. And so they would come by. He knew they were coming. Maybe in the distance he saw the man with the club. And he knew that when he arrived in a moment, he would take that full swing across his legs and break the bones. Till he could no longer have the strength in a matter of moments, he would suffocate. Jesus, of course, none of his bones were broken, fulfilling prophecy. Because when they came by, he had already given up the ghost. But this man knew that was coming, and his heart was not broken over the fact that in a few moments, I'll be separated from my family forever, and I will be a scoundrel and forever remembered for that. His brokenness was over his sin. And he realized that his wounds, as egregious as they were, were not against humanity. They were against God Almighty. And he said, we indeed justly. And he saw himself condemned. That's a broken heart. You see, if you come to the house of God this morning and thinking that everything is good and you're okay, I hate to say it, but you're probably not here yet. Because you must be broken. And then you must do what the psalmist did in Psalm 51, David's penitent psalm, when he cries out to God from a broken heart, create in me a clean heart. My heart must be broken. My heart must be clean. And I can't make it clean. I could try to turn over a new leaf. I could try to do better. But each and every time, I realize that I need God's help. And then finally, I need a heart that's believing. Across the rejection, there was no belief. The Bible reminds us in Romans chapter number 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so that believing heart changed everything. It brought him to the place where he trusted the Lord. I hasten to the third cross. I love this one because it's how you and I get out alive. Oh, I understand. We're, unless the rapture occurs, we're all going to draw our last, last breath at some point. I'm not looking forward to that, I must be honest. I, I'm look, I hope I have a lot of years left. I, I, there's a lot of things on my barrel list, not my bucket, my barrel list. And it's running over. In fact, I need another one to stack up right next to it. A lot of things I want to do, places I want to go, and joy and delight and happiness I want to experience. But the fact is, you could be, well, Ishmael was telling me yesterday, we stopped by the house, you could be here today and gone today. And they were in an accident. Good to see them back here this morning. They banged up a little bit, but glad they're here. But you can be here today and gone today. But the cross of redemption makes that possible. Jesus says unto him something so simple, but so beautiful. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, 
Verily means of a truth. You've got my word. This is a promise. This is a guarantee. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Here's my word. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Romans 10 continuing. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Galatians, Paul writing to the church at Galatia. Christ hath redeemed. You know what that redemption means? It means I was bought back. I was, uh, I was on the auction block. And it would take a heavy price because my sins were many. I've had 56 years of sin. I would be terribly terribly embarrassed if they were on the screen in front of you, as would you if yours were. Every thought, every word, every emotion, and all of those sins, all of those wounds were against the holy God. The songwriter says, there was a time on earth when in the book of heaven An old account was standing for sins yet unforgiven. My name was at the top with many things below. I went unto the keeper and settled it long ago. You see, because you and I have a ledger, it started the day you drew your first breath. We go astray from the womb, the Bible says, speaking lies. As I said earlier, nobody had to teach me to do that. I was a sinner. But I realized that my sin was causing a problem. In every relationship, sin complicates and hurts and hinders. But in the relationship between God's divine creation, mankind, and God Almighty, he says, your sins have separated you from God. If I regard that sin, that means I'm cognizant and aware of it. If I regard it in my heart, God cannot hear me. That's why this thief, the thief of representing the cross of rejection, he never saw it. He never had the broken heart. He never desired the clean heart. He didn't have the pure heart. He didn't have the contrite heart. He simply said, if... He said, and really all I'm interested in is a temporary remedy. I I just want you to be able to get us off this cross right now. Just salvage my immediate predicament, but not this man. This man looked and he said, God, I, I know who you are and I know who I am and I know what I deserve. And you're my only hope, my only way out. And in a matter of moments, I will be leaving this life. And the only thing that will matter is that I trust the cross of redemption. Because what he did that day was he bought you. 56 years of sin. What a ledger. I can't imagine. I wish I could forget sins, but only God has the capacity to do that. In fact, he says, he gives what a great promise, their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you came in this morning with the dew of sin fresh on your brow from last night, last week, last month, or years ago, and it still is resonating there, and and, and you can see it as David said, my sin is ever before me. But he got to the place where he was broken and contrite, and he looked as this thief did from the cross of repentance to the cross of redemption. And he said, Lord, Remember me? It wasn't a statement. 
was a request from a heart that recognized his lost condition and his only hope through God robed in flesh. That's you. That's me. The Bible says, if in this life only we have hope in God, we are of all men most miserable. And so we find ourselves at the three crosses of Calvary. A number of years ago, in fact, latter part of the 19th century in England, a young boy had, uh, his mother and father had died from the plague, and he was left with his grandmother. And she took good care of him, and now he's a young boy, but growing out without, without his parents was a very difficult thing. And one evening, the fire had been left burning, and the house caught fire. And the little boy's bedroom was upstairs in a loft area. And the grandmother, in her hysteria to reach her grandson, stumbled, and she perished as a result of the flames. The little boy made it to an upstairs window outside of his loft to begin to scream for help. And everybody was fearful they could not reach him. Of course, means of recovery and rescue and safety during those times was extremely handicapped and very difficult. But nonetheless, the boy's screams were heard, and a gentleman who was nothing but a common laborman down the road arrived at the house, and he could only see one way up there. Back in those days, the downspouts on the exterior of a house were made out of iron. They had already begun to glow from the heat. And the man knew the only way that he could get there was by trying to scaffold the side of that house and pull himself up on that already hot, hot downspout. But nonetheless, the cry of the boy was so strong and he felt so compelled that he would not be denied. And he began to scurry up the side of that house, pulling himself up after each step. And he rescued the little boy, brought the boy down to safety, and drifted off into the darkness of the night. Several weeks went by, and the city had decided to have a hearing where they would determine to whom the young boy would be given as far as custody. Everyone from the town came. Their hearts were outpouring because of the loss of his parents in previous years, and now his grandmother and his home as well, and what would become of him? In the crowd was the wealthiest man in town, the banker, and he thought perhaps the finances might put him up in that position, and so, because many do, in fact, trust in riches. There was the town educator who was a, the headmaster of the local school, and he too arrived and felt like with education as an offering that he had something that he could give this man, this little boy that could help him throughout life. The wealthiest farmer in town came and he said, I have much goods and perhaps I could bestow upon him and I would help this little boy to grow. There in the courtroom, the crowd was in silence waiting for the judge and in walked a local man who was there the night of the fire. And he walked in and the crowd gasped because they looked at his hands and saw the scars from the burns that he had been the man who climbed the downspout that night. But he didn't hide them. He kept them out there. And the little boy turned to look as the visitor approached the courtroom that day. And when he saw him, he got up from his seat and ran with tears flowing into the arms of the stranger who walked into the courtroom that day. The judge 
drew his gavel and hit the podium and said, that's it. And they said, Your Honor, what do you mean? And he said, well, the marred hands settle the issue. Do you realize that that's a picture of Jesus Christ because he was wounded for my transgressions? He was bruised for my iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the Bible says, and by his stripes we are healed. And so you and I in a courtroom, as we will be one day at the judgment seat of Christ, we'll see him as that thief saw him that day. And you'll remember the time in your life when you said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Do you know him today? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's your Savior? Because those three crosses, we find ourselves hanging on either of the two on the outside. Either we reject redemption or we repent and receive it. On which cross are you? Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed very, very quickly. Way of invitation this morning. Feel very compelled to give an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Maybe you're here today. And you know for sure you've trusted Christ. You know for sure that heaven's your home. I would invite you with every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would say, I know that I'm a Christian. I know that I have accepted the cross of redemption. Would you lift your hands just very, very quickly? You can put them down just as quickly as you put them up. God bless you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone here who'd say, boy, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, I think I've rejected him. I don't think I've accepted him yet. I've not asked him to forgive me on my sins. I can't say that I know that he is personally my Savior. If that's you, would you lift your hand up very, very quickly? I won't embarrass you, and I mean that. But would you say, please pray for me. I want the cross of redemption for me. Would you lift your hand just very, very quickly? Say, please pray for me. I need to be saved. I need to know that. I don't want to wonder. I don't want to worry. I don't want to doubt. I don't want to have any question about it. Is there one like that? Just very, very quickly lift your hand up. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Maybe there's someone here today who would say, I forgot what Calvary means. And boy, today, the Holy Spirit reminded me of what it means. It means I don't have to go to hell. It means my sins are forgiven. And there have been things where I've rejected Him, but Lord, I I sure want to accept. Not just the gift of salvation, but I, I want to accept His will, His way, His plan, His pattern for my life. There's someone who would say, God spoke to me about something very, very clearly that I want to accept. I know I'm saved, but, but God dealt with me about something very, very specifically. I may not agree with it, but I, but I have to accept it because he said it. Would you lift your hands just very, very quickly? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Many, many hands. In a moment, the piano will play, and you'll have an opportunity to respond. Now, I don't know what it is that you might need, but God brought something for each of us today. Don't leave without it. Lord, bless in the invitation time. Help us to be obedient hearers, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you respond?